Hey friends, it's DGS on DHP, and today's special guest is Juliet Kane. Juliet Kane and I had a great conversation on the topic of hospitality. This idea came from Molly Johnson, so just a reminder, we love to hear your ideas on what we should talk about on this podcast. So if you have ideas, particularly for the new year, give me a shout, and I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Enjoy. Juliet Kane, welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. It's uh, it's good to see you. Just saw you last night at your home where you were practicing hospitality of having all the elders over for an elder meeting for some of your famous shepherd's pie. Thank you for that. And baked beans, the British top. That's right. That was very nice. So uh, all of our listeners may not know who you are. Why don't you introduce yourself to us briefly? Um, I'm British, but I'm also a proud American. I've been in this country nearly 30 years. I came here with my husband's job. Michael's my husband, uh, an elder at Hinson. Uh, we've been in the church seven years. Um, it's been a wonderful blessing for us, a uh, really um, tremendous influence on us. Um, yeah, we have four grown daughters, um, three of whom live locally. One is training to be a doctor in Poughkeepsie, New York. Wonderful. And uh, you said you're from England? Yes. Whereabouts? London. Okay. Yeah. And then what brought you to the United States 30 years ago? Michael's job. Okay. And what does Michael do? He, um, he runs a family, our family business with his brother. His brother's in the UK. We're here in the US. Uh, we manufacture electronic measuring instruments. Um, we were supposed to be here for 18 months. That was the plan. So... Um, 18 months has turned into nearly three decades, and that's fine. God's been very good to us here. And what you've had various jobs, and you've uh, we've talked about even doing a podcast together on classical education. Do you want to talk about some of the things that you've dabbled in over the years? Mm, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Um, before I married, I was in publishing, um, Christian publishing, actually. And then when we had children, you know, the urgent question of how they were going to be educated came up. And we, uh, some friends were starting a classical Christian school. We followed what they were doing and decided uh, we wanted one for ourselves. Uh, theirs was over in Newburgh. Um, and um, so we helped start one. Um, and I chaired the curriculum committee at that school, St. Stephen's Academy, for I think 13 years. So I, I um, led the, the uh, development of the curriculum there, which is pretty much still in place largely even now. A, a classical Christian curriculum, beautifully rich, um, uh, rich feast of um, literature, the arts and the sciences for children. That's great. And uh, what about like, how are you educated? And tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you came to Christ. Yes, I, I was educated in, in a classical Christian school. Okay. Uh, it wasn't called that. <laughs> it was yeah. one of the really old English schools, um, wonderful Christian influence. Um, and um, got a wonderful education um, and went on to do a degree in French and German. And um, uh, what was the other question? Well, so if you went to a, Christ a kind of a classical Christian school in, in England, were, was your family Christian? Did you grow up going to church? Yes. Okay. So my father became a Christian thanks to Billy Graham. Billy Graham came to London. He conducted the Harringay Crusades. And my father worked near there and followed the crowds. And although he 
when he greatly regretted going forward and making a decision to Christ for Christ, but um, he had to wait forever for a counselor because so many th thousands of people went forward. He gave his name in, and then he was followed up by a very um, persistent brethren man in his home, and eventually. Um, Leslie Jones led my father to Christ and the rest uh, followed. My mum followed later on and then all three of us, our children eventually became Christians. So was it your parents who then led you to Christ? Uh, well, it was, it, no, no. Um, although it was their influence, I would say primarily. There were two major influences in my becoming Christian, three actually. The first was in wonderful church, healthy churches with beautiful, um, uh, full uh, teaching, laid a very good theological foundation for me so that when I was ready to accept Christ, I knew what I was getting into. Um, it was only a question of then accepting it. So first of all, the churches and the, the wonderful pastors I, I um, grew up under. Uh, the second was my parents' influence and example, even though I was quite rude about them in many ways, quite arrogant, you know, the arrogance of youth. Hmm. Um, but they were sincere, and, and I knew that their faith was sincere. And the third influence was unconditional friendship offered to me by, by another Christian, which is a form of hospitality. So in a way, hospitality was what um, really tipped me over back into the kingdom. So how old were you, do you think, when you became a Christian? Difficult to say. I okay. wanted to be a Christian for years growing hmm. up, but I never experienced... Um, peace with God. I never experienced mm. joy in believing. I, I, I experienced a lot of guilt, a lot of frustration. And of course, ultimately, my ego took over. I wanted autonomy, didn't want to, there didn't seem any, uh, didn't seem any compensation for losing the things I wanted, you know, because I hadn't, ex I hadn't, I didn't know the Lord. Mm. So I committed my life to him when I was quite young, several times. Mm -hmm. um, who knows when I became a Christian, but there was a time when I repented God enabled me to repent in a way that led to lasting change. Mm -hmm. And following that repentance, I experienced um, a wonderful, um, uh, what should I say, um, inflow of his love. Mm -hmm. I finally experienced his, his love, and that set me on a course that I've, I've never looked back from there. Um, it changed a lot of things, some quite slowly, some very quickly. Praise God. The now, you mentioned one of the influences in uh, being instrumental in leading you to Christ was the hospitality of friends, the unconditional love of friends. And that's that's the main thing I wanted to talk to you about today, uh, Juliet, is, is hospitality. So how did you become so hospitable? Well, um, I think it really does stem from that, um, that experience of God's love, mm. God's unconditional forgiveness. Um, his love and <laughs> the incredible sense of belonging that I um, immediately felt as soon as I, I was enabled to repent and believe. Um, to belong to him eternally was like having a wedding ring on my hand, you know, times 100. I mean, mm -hmm. that belonging never goes away. Um, and it, it means everything to me. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, I was called to a banquet, basically, by God. You know, he, he, he calls people in Isaiah 55, you know, you who have no money, come buy and eat. You know, there's a paradox there. How can you buy if, if you don't have any money? And then he says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He, he paid the cost. 
Um, mm-hmm. he, he, he supplies the money. We don't bring anything to the table. That's actually, for me, those, that's Isaiah 55, one is the definition of grace. Mm-hmm. It's all his work. And so um, for me, my response is, you know, having received, I want to give, I want to share that joy, that sense of belonging, um, and, and, and make a place for people at my table if they, if they want to be there, if they need to be there. And you have practiced that uh, to so many people in the Hinson uh, church family and to uh, to others as well, since I've known you guys over the last seven years. Um, but do you want let's go back a little bit in your story, because you mentioned uh, friends offering you hospitality. Do you have anything specifically of um, or mo- how hospitality was modeled to you? Like, what does this look like to practice hospitality? Yeah, uh, my parents didn't really practice hospitality. They were first generation Christians. Um, and um, I, but Michael and I, both in our 20s, experienced um, Christian families opening their homes to us, places we could just go and hang out. Hmm. We could go and, and just plant ourselves. And that made a huge difference in our struggles in our 20s. Um, so really, uh, and Michael always wanted after that to have a home where we could do that. So Michael and I had similar journeys in that way. And we, we partner in this together. I I don't think that I would do it to this extent were it not for Michael. Hmm. I'm I'm a part-time introvert. Um, (laughs) and, um, you know, but together, um, it's something we've just found very natural to do. So is Michael the extrovert and you're the end? The, I know. The, yeah. I mean, you know, like everyone, we're a, bit, we're, we're a mixture of both. Sure. He has an energy that um, kind of keeps us keeping on and doing this. Yeah. So when so this was modeled to you guys when you were like a young married couple, even before you had your daughters? Um, uh, young singles, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, Michael's parents... Um, his dad was an immigrant and he lost his all of his family in the Holocaust. And so um, he actually created a community for himself amongst other um, uh, immigrant Jews in London. And so he did a lot of hospitality too. It's in a way what it was more entertaining than hospitality. And so we took a few years to figure out the difference between entertaining and hospitality. Um, Can you speak to that? I'm kind of, I'm, I'm curious and I'm sure others would be curious, like even just culturally, how did hospitality look different in, in London than it does as you practice it in your home here in Portland? Well, I mean, all I can say is that the, the, the changes that we've made over the years to sort of move away from, quotes, entertaining, which is a social thing, mm-hmm. um, towards hospitality. One would be less emphasis on, um, you know, the food. I, I now have a sort of short list of things that work mm-hmm. um, and are easy to make. I, I, they don't, they don't, it's, if, if it's stressing me out, then it's, it's not hospitality anymore. Okay. Um, probably. Okay. Um, I would say. Um We've added in um, Bible reading at the end of the meal sometimes, not always, but especially on a Saturday night, Michael will finish with a portion from the following day's sermon text and and maybe Mm. say a few words and we'll pray. We have tried singing. It kind of falls flat most of the time (laughs) because everybody has such different musical heritages and expectations, but I would like to sing a bit more. Um, And what else? yeah, and, and I suppose above all, you know, you're not necessarily inviting people like you. That, that's the difference. You might do, um, and that's wonderful. But 
you, you're aiming for diversity and you're looking really not so much about whether they fit socially, but whether, um, you know, whether there's a need that we can meet or, or, or they can give something, they can meet a need of ours because it's two way, you know, we're blessed by this. It's not just us, you know, handing out, handing over, handing to other people. That's really helpful. Any, anything else you want to say about what motivates you um, to practice hospitality? Any biblical convictions that fuel the, you take, you guys both taking initiative to invite people into your home and the Lord's given you guys a home where you can not only host people for a meal, but you guys are ever since I've known you, you're always hosting someone to, to live in a spare room or in the apartment in the basement. So, but the question is, what's the motivation? What keeps you going? You said you're a part-time introvert. Sometimes it'd be easier probably just to curl up with a book on a Saturday night. And I can do that sometimes. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Yes. I mean, you know, Paul and the the writer to the Hebrews, I mean, it's, it's right there in the fabric of, of, of Christian living is practice hospitality. You know, the writer of the Hebrews says, um, um, something like share what you have for these sacrifices are pleasing to God. Mm. Those are not things I needed to be taught. In all of course, I was taught them as a child. Maybe that's where it's come from. But you know, for me, it's not like, oh, I've read that verse and oh, I guess I'll have to do it. It's very much more. Um, of course, you know, God mm. has been so generous to us, both spiritually and also materially. So that mm-hmm. that's that's one thing. It's like we we have space. We have a lot of space. God's been very generous to us. It's kind of an obligation on us to share that as much as we can. Um, now, I will say this, though, that not everybody has um, the same um, ability or even gifting to, to do it the way we do. There are other ways of, of practicing hospitality. And frankly, not everybody is re- comfortable receiving hospitality. So, for example, we invited an elderly couple in the church um, for, for a meal, and, and they said, what's the agenda? They, they, they weren't... They, were, they didn't really know why we were doing it. And mm. um, it's culturally difficult for, for some people. And I, I really understand that. I do not want to come over as Mrs. Hospitality and you've got to do it my way. Now, with this couple and with other older couples, we've actually found meeting in a, a mid-place, like a restaurant, has been much more comfortable for them. Um, so, and, and other people, you know, they have different ways of practicing hospitality. But I will say that um, it is possible to do it in a very small space. I've been to meals over in church housing, very limited space. There's been six or eight round the table um, in those little one bedroom apartments. And I gather people in colonial arms with just one room are practicing hospitality. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have a big house to do it. You've already spoken to this a little bit, but Juliet, how has hospitality changed in different seasons of your life? Well, um, certainly now my children are grown. We have more time, but we did do it when they were younger. But actually, you know, you've got to be careful not to do it um, to the um, detriment of your children, I think, you know, and maybe try and have an open table where children benefit from meeting a a range and a variety of people. Um, I think the other thing is just, yes, moving away from focusing on the meal and, 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 intentionally bringing the Lord into it if possible and, mm. and also um, um, encouraging spiritual conversations um, we, we, we've benefited from um, others extending hospitality to us 
Mm-hmm. So the Edwards have very have been wonderful at that. We and had had we not met Patrick Bitsetta at the Edwards, they wouldn't have become very dear friends. Uh, he eventually married. Now they've got three little girls, and they've become very dear friends of ours. We met them at the Edwards, um, and other people have connected us to people that way, and, and we try to connect people. Um, as well, um, so that they're not, um, we become facilitators and, and, and the life of the, we're being built up, the life of the church is being built up um, in love. Were you unable to practice hospitality like you wanted to, say, when, you're, when your daughters were very young? Was it um, difficult to practice hospitality in that season of life for uh, you and Michael? Not particularly, no. Okay. Um, but I can't, I can't really remember now, but I mean, sometimes it's quite nice to have a, a change of face, you know, when you've been, sure. when you've been at home all day with yeah. under five. So, that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. We, I'd love to, I mean, so many people listening to, to this conversation will have been in your home, uh, but you know, we have a church of 465 or so people, so not everyone has. Talk, to, talk us through what your hospitality looks like now. How is it that you're inviting people over? Like what is initiative, taking initiative on the front end look like? And then how are you bringing, like you said, bringing the Lord into those conversations? Are there things, are there kind of things that you're thinking through in order to take, make the most of every opportunity? So kind of walk us through that, if you will. Well, the people we invite is very organic. You know, it's, mm. it tends to be one of us will talk to somebody and very often it'll, it'll revolve around new people. Um, so you're talking to people like after church, for yes, example. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. And, um, then one thing leads to another, you know, well, who, so there's this new person, you know, who, who, who could we connect them to? Who, who might, who might she get on with? Hmm. Um, who would be helpful to him? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, trying to trying to get some sort of um, something common, one thing that each guest has in common with each other, apart from obviously um, Christ. Now, I say that, but um, in latter days, we've started um, trying to think a little bit more about extending hospitality to unbelievers, um, and that's harder. It's a lot harder. Um, um, it really is. But one one way. I do it now is is I, I teach the piano and I welcome children into my home and um, I've been able to have an influence there um, and um, especially at Christmas um, I have a, an opening even with their parents to share the Christmas story I've given some children's Bibles away um, the words of the carols that they learn are very um, rich. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then we have a party after the Christmas recital. And I welcome my children, my students, and their families into my home. They have a penny hunt that goes through the whole house. Um, we pull Christmas crackers, and and those types of things are where we we're trying to become more more intentional about um, uh, hospitality to unbelievers. That's great. I want to come back to that in a minute if we have time. Um, but as as you reflect on how you have seen hospitality practiced um, at Henson, like you 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 mentioned how you were blessed by Darren and Gata Edwards inviting uh, you all into their home, but other ways that you would just encourage uh, Henson to continue to grow in the ministry of hospitality. How would you encourage this church family? start small if it seems intimidating hmm. 
uh, don't think that it has to be, you know, perfectly put together. You know, uh, there's a big difference between an immaculate house and a reasonably tidy house. Um, people can get really hung up on how they're going to appear to people, but um, focus on what you have in common, especially, you know, if, if these are other believers and focus on... Um, if you're coming from a place of need yourself and, and looking back on how, how God has met your needs, hmm. that, that's really the way um, to, to go about it, to share, to share his grace with other people, um, to pray, uh, to pray to grow in that area, to pray before people arrive. Um, and, um, you know, to, to, to just, just, just maybe even study those passages about hospitality and, Ask yourself why. why. Why is this an important part of the Christian life? And maybe um, think, do some thinking and praying in that area. I love that. Uh, those are such wise words. I One of uh, our elders who you know well um, has talked about, even when he's just getting together with another believer in the church, um, often he will take some time to even just write out a few questions that he could ask to encourage uh, or challenge this other brother or sister in Christ. And it's not like he's getting out an index card and looking at it, but he's just seeking to, to prayerfully and carefully think intentionally about how, how to go about that. Um, any, you know, we're just recording this uh, five days before Christmas. So what, uh, ways to think about hospitality over the holidays. You already mentioned some things with your piano students. Uh, what do you guys tend to do to practice hospitality around Christmas or Thanksgiving or other holidays? Christmas can be a really lonely time for people. Mm -hmm. um, and we're immigrants. And mm -hmm. um, we have, in the early years especially, you know, everybody went into went back to their families and we were left just us, to, you know, us and a baby. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember one, one Thanksgiving celebrating in a bed and breakfast on the beach. You know, we didn't even know really what Thanksgiving was, but it was it was quite a lonely, miserable thing with a few other strangers, also who didn't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, so I think just be looking around and asking, uh, you know, who would benefit from being around our table mm -hmm. because this is a lonely time, especially people who don't have extended family around them, as we didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as immigrants, I think we have been, we've been given an extra oomph in developing this ministry because we need people. And our spiritual family is terribly important to us because we don't have extended family um, in this country. That's great. Any any stories that come to mind, Juliet, over the years of, of hosting people in your home, ways that hospitality has maybe, it can be stories of failure, like, you know, things that did not go well, um, or just real joys of, of having people in your home. Anything that comes to mind? Yes. Um, we, we hosted an older couple a few years ago um, whose son was in the hospital. Their son was on the streets. Um, with drugs and he'd set himself or we'd been set on fire actually and they came to us in grief um really over years of praying for their son christian couple years of praying for their son hoped that um, this would be the turning point for him um didn't look as if it was going to be the turning point he discharged himself they became very dear friends I, i'm terribly fond of them we've kept in touch well, fast forward maybe three, four years, they're coming back to us this Christmas. Um, their son and his, his girlfriend are in um, transitional housing. They're off the streets. They're off drugs. 
God willing, they will stay off drugs. Obviously, it's, it's there are no easy outs. Um, and we can celebrate with this Christian couple for their son um, and the, the progress he's made. Um, so over the years, we've hosted quite a lot of people um, who've been staying in the hospitals. Um, it's lonely, lonely time for visitors from out of town. Hmm. Um, we had um, a, a family come to us with a daughter, a little five-year-old had cancer. Um, they left us around Thanksgiving to, um, and uh, shortly after that, the child died. So Thanksgiving for that reason is sometimes also quite melancholy for me. I remember, I remember their struggle and how hard it was for them. Um, so as far as um, other experiences yesterday, of course, we had the elders over, mm-hmm. um, 15 elders around the table. And um, and Christmas crackers to boot. Well, you know, it was absolutely incredible. Um, men singing, men laughing, men wearing paper crowns, which is what falls out of the crackers when you when you pull them. Men enjoying fellowship, mm. men discussing and debating very seriously, and men singing. Um, mm. You all sang a hymn, and I, as I heard these male voices rise through my house, I thought, how how unusual this is. How mm-hmm. often do men get together and, and just enjoy each other's company the way these elders are doing? Um, the world has pushed out those opportunities for men. There isn't space for them to meet anymore. Mm-hmm. The elders have an obligation to meet as men. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're choosing to be you know, men meeting, but that's the biblical pattern. Mm-hmm. And I can see why. Um, there, there's a vibe there and there's a, a spirit which is so beautiful. And so I was kind of listening over the banisters, having provided the shepherd's pie and the beans. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hearing, the, hearing the music rise, the singing rise, mm. um, and hearing that just the levity, hearing people, in, the men enjoying each other's company. Yeah. That's the sort of uh, rewards I get for hospitality. Oh, that's, that's, very, that's very encouraging. Um, you mentioned earlier about ways hospitality has sometimes provided opportunities for evangelism. Uh, Anything else that you'd like to share on that front? Yes. Um, So through our daughter, we had um, a couple come who were doing a short-term residency at a local hospital. And um, I was able to sit down and share the gospel with the husband, um, which is not something I do very often. And again, I feel I'm growing in that area. Mm. Um, I invited him. I asked him. I thought, What's the harm of asking if he'd like to help uh, me to explain, you know, the Christian gospel to him? And he, I was amazed when he said yes. Hmm. I had a lot of people praying. I don't know what fruit that will yield, but I can tell you that it's there really is nothing better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is such a privilege. Mm-hmm. I wish I had more opportunities, and I, I pray for more opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, and we've we've had other unbelievers in our home, but that was a particular connection we had we had we had another young woman come to us who was uh, um, a soccer player actually and again Mm -hmm. we were very open about our christianity we opened our home to her Mm -hmm. and um, i pray that the seeds that were sown in that relationship will will yield fruit in the future amen uh finally this is kind of a bonus question juliet what do you think of Rosaria Butterfield's book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key? And I'll preface it before I at you answer. We did have another local pastor on this podcast several years ago who, I don't know how this came up. I think we were talking about the topic of friendship, but said that that he would not stock that book at his church because of how he was uh, concerned that it would make the uh, particularly the women in the church.
church feel um, burdened by her example. But any any thoughts on that book? I, I feel similarly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do respect her mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's got a wonderful story and a very important ministry, but I did find the book intimidating. I thought two things. One, um, you know, what goes down in Raleigh, North Carolina, I think that's where she was living at when she wrote the book, won't necessarily go down in Portland, Oregon. So I think she had neighbors doing a hymn sing on her front lawn or something. I mean, and you know, she has non-Christian neighbors regularly around and they sing Psalms around the table and so on. I can't quite see us doing that. It just doesn't seem realistic. Um, if she can do it, great. And I believe I don't, don't disbelieve that she does. Um, so I, yeah, I think what's good, it, it's same with me. What's good for me isn't necessarily right for everybody. I think we all need to uh, rise to the challenge of the hospitality mandate, but it will come out and be expressed in different ways for everyone. I think that's a that's a good final word. You you know not not everyone has uh, a spouse like you have, where you guys are able to function like a team. The home that you guys, the connections, the some of the social gifts and graces that the Lord has just given you as part of His His kindness to you guys, and and same for like the there is a good review that I appreciate of Rosaria Butterfield's book on the Nine Marks website by Aaron Minikoff, a Pacific Northwestern Westerner, and he just talks about how. It's a helpful book in many ways, but it's not. You, she's not demanding that we do it the the Rosaria Butterfield way. It's just kind of pleading with elders to be elders and the church to be the church. But that's going to take a, a bunch of different forms um, throughout in different seasons of life as well. Uh, well, Juliet, I think we've run out of time, but thank you so much for uh, most of all being an example and being a blessing to our church family and the way you practice hospitality. And thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. 